Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the TKW Podcast. I'm Anthony Corbo, joined today by Kyle Maggio. What's going on, everybody? And not not your first appearance on the pod, but uh, now soon to be joining us, like pretty much every episode, Brian Giverman. What's up, dude? I, I legitimately started this podcast. You did legitimately start this podcast. Well, no, all right, because here's the issue. I got a gripe. Um, <laughs> because the old podcast is still on iTunes, and we have no way, we have no idea how to delete it. And uh, so, yeah, we've you know, been, we've been, hold on, just you, a quick part. You, we, we've been trying to get that fucking password for three years now. You could take credit over that podcast, buddy, but I don't know if I can give you this one. Anyway, I'm le- I wish I knew how to deal with that, but I'm legitimately, I'm technologically stupid in a lot of areas, and I definitely did not put that on iTunes. Mm. Well, the good news is we've all come together here, and now this is the only TKW podcast, and uh, we're 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 back and better than ever. But unfortunately, that comes on the heels of a devastating loss to the Celtics, in which we again saw no minutes from Frank Nealakina. Folks, how how do we feel about this? Not great. Uh, we talked about a pregame, you know, when we played on the. Uh the 2k twitch stream and i just thought in a game where yeah i mean you hopefully you're trying to coach to win um a game against a team with a lot of wings talented wings i thought maybe you'd play your point guard or small forward or whatever, whatever you want to call him uh, he's he's a damn good defender you'd think you'd want to get him in the game but uh, evidently that was not the case so i mean not not fantastic not fantastic not- at all that's one way to put it kyle Right. It's just it seems like the path. The thing that's frustrating about all this is Fisdale's really it's not far away from doing the right thing. It's really if you just take Kazonia's 18 minutes right, and like right. some Lee's minutes and give them to Frank. I don't think any of us are complaining right now. We're all pretty happy. Maybe we have some nitpicks, but I think we're pretty much cool with what's going on. So the solution it's right there in front of you because everything else we're pretty much okay with. Like, like I don't think anyone's really complaining that much about Cantor starting over Mitchell Robinson at this point. I don't think anyone, you know, no, like pretty much everyone's established that Moody is going to be the starting point guard here. Like you got to obviously play Courtney Lee a little bit, but it's Sezonia That's the big, the big fucking question mark in the middle here. That's just like, what has he really done to justify getting these minutes? B Scott Perry's draft pick from Orlando. Oh, and that it like, seems to be the difference because that's the one thing that Frank Nielkin is not is that he's not a product of this regime, and it just makes it just seems like it, they make it so easy to just sweep him by the wayside here. See, my thing is like I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to panic. I said this on the pod over the week or on Monday rather, and I don't like I don't I don't, don't want to get too carried away because I feel like. Anybody with eyes can tell, like when his was playing poorly and Dotson had played really well in his uh, stint before, like 
you would you would have to know like whether it's the advanced numbers the the analytics that we do have access to or even we don't that the actual NBA NBA teams have uh, or if you're just using the eye test and watching the games you knew that Dotson was outplaying his own year period on both ends of the floor you just knew you had to have known so for him to continue uh, to start his own year to me just seems like and I called it like a JV tryout thing before in our Slack chat but it just seems like it's just an intentional exercise at this point to just, Oh, I'm going to bench this player for a few games. I'm going to bench this player for a few games. And I know Brian feels differently than he does uh, for the Dotson thing. And, and, you know, please follow on that after this. But um, to me, I'm just not there yet. I mean, it's the trade rumors that really make me queasy coupled with this, but like the actual benching, I, I'm just not ready to like lose sight of it. You know, I'm just not ready to, to, to go nuts yet. The, the Frank aspect, I hear you on, but the Hazonia thing's more than a few games now. He's st- we're, we're almost at game 10 of him starting and this going on. So as much as there's stuff that you like that Fizdale's doing, him correlating how with their four and five in their last nine games right now, and that's with this starting lineup, him correlating how they've been playing better with Hazonia starting is something that's really worrisome to me. Like that's like Hornacek would do that last year with like Michael Beasley. He just happened to be on the floor for like a stretch of play and he wouldn't grasp the concept of what was actually happening. That was making them do better. And he would, so he would reward someone that didn't deserve rewarding. And that feels like what Bisdale's doing right now. Yeah. And I mean, my only, my only big gripe, I guess is, like whatever, whatever it is, whatever the reasoning is for why he's doing this, like don't don't fucking lie to us about it, man. Like I, I'm a big Fizdale fan. I, I I I say this like every five now, but I was really pushing for him that we'd be you know hiring him. Like that was my guy the entire process. I wanted Fizdale, but don't just like blatantly lie. Like today he uh, yeah. earlier today after shoot around, I think he told the media, oh yeah, I really I'm really loving what I'm seeing from Hazoni on defense. No, no. Like when not. did that become the narrative? No, that no, seems to be not. the new the new thing is that Hazonia is all of a sudden this great defender. Yeah, uh, I'm, from what? From from and I'll tell you what. There was one there was one play in the Washington uh game where it was a transition and he he to his credit perfectly cut off uh the baseline. Like the the, the ball I think it may have been uh, Otto Porter Jr. but the ball swung to the wing. Uh they tried to take a baseline, he cut it off. That was it. That was like the best play. And he made a couple other like little basic rotations and shit. But uh, to say you're loving what you're seeing from Azonia is just, is just a gross, gross lie. Like if you're like, I love that he finally made three or four plays over four games. Like then, then if that's your bar that he has to clear, if that's the improvement, then sure. But um, quite simply, it was not a, it was a lie. He, he's lying right to our faces. So his own, his 38% from the field, 26% oh right. Frank, 33% and 25%. There's like no difference between the two of them offensively. Right. It, it's, and that's really the, like, they obviously, I know Frank is a, sm- is a smaller player than Hazonia, but like, not by much. And Frank's already got this defensive pedigree. He's got the wingspan. He's got the mismatches that he can play. Like, you know, I, I, I don't know what kind of roster reshuffling it's going to take. I don't know if, if you start him at the three again. I don't really, I don't care if Frank starts or anything like that. I like, I really, I agree with what Kyle was saying on the last pod and kind of what we've been talking about for a while. Just start Dotson at the three. You have so many wings and so many, you know, I guess, stereotypical twos on this team. 
that you're going to have to play some of them at the three anyway. And when you have when you have all these guys you got to get minutes to, when you got to get minutes to Tim Hardaway and Courtney Lee and Damian Dotson and Alonzo Trier and, you know, and you know, ideally Frank Nielakina, I just don't see how Mario Hazonia fits into these plans. You could play two bigs less and find more time for the wings, yeah. but there there's a... I, I get the plan having to play Cantor thing and wanting to get Von Lee on the floor. You have to have Von Lee on the floor. And Von Lee's trying- been the most consistent Nick for quite a few games now. Yeah, so you can't just... I get if they they think Cantor's going to be on the team for the entire season and they don't want to create an issue there. I, I can understand that a little bit. So just before we get too much further, uh, Nick's loss to the Celtics tonight, 128 to 100. Um, we did see Cantor have 14 and 11, Tim Hardaway Jr. with 22. Uh, Kevin Knox looked pretty, pretty okay in the uh, fourth quarter or so. He finished with 11 points and four rebounds. Um, and then, yeah, kind of kind of quiet games from some of the rest of the cast. Alonzo Trier only had six points. Damian Dotson with only five points. I thought that he did not look good. He did not look confident in his shot tonight. Uh, but Noah Vonley, like we were saying, 12 points, 10 rebounds, three assists. Uh, looks pretty good getting himself out to the three-point line and creating space. Uh, I know that Kyle's been really, really uh, all aboard the Noah Vonley bandwagon for the last couple of weeks. Uh, have you felt quite as strongly, Brian? Yeah, I think he's someone I know there's a lot of talk of Moutier and resigning in the cap space, but I think the guy who they really should be focusing on if when if and when they miss on all these big name free agents is Vonley's the guy who I'd be willing to sink into future cap space to keep. I would love him on like a three year deal or something. His skill set what really excites me. I think it could fit really well with Porzingis too, because he can defend out in the perimeter and you let KP stay closer to the rim. So, and the rebounding, it's exactly what you need from that weird combination of ability to mm-hmm. defend plus play plus rebound and what you want next to KP at the five. Yeah. I, I it's, it's kind of funny because I was thinking a little bit tonight and I'm in no way out on Mitchell Robinson, but you know, there, there's a part of me that was kind of watching a play, and I'm just like, I wonder how much of the same space he and Chris Sops are going to be taking up once he's back out there on the floor. Um, but but then I thought about Noah Vonley, and I, it's a lot of what you were just saying there. It's just like, between he and KP, they both kind of possess the ideal skill set that you want for your two bigs. Like, they're kind of mixed and mingled between the two of them. But Vonley's, you know, both of them could stretch the floor, Vonley's rebound and defensive prowess, KP's rim protection, you know, it's 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 all kind of mixed in there. And I, I, I really am excited to see what the fit's going to look like once Chris Sops is back. I mean, that's why I wanted Julius Randle forever. I, I was whining yeah. about that for like two years. I wanted Julius Randle next to Chris Stapps. I thought it was a match made in heaven. And Vonley's kind of doing what we what I would have wanted Julius Randle to be doing next to KP anyway. So I absolutely agree with that. And I I kind of hope we find a way to keep him. I don't know how it, again, if we get a big free agent, he's probably not going to be here, but uh, it, it just, I think would be delightful. I, I think that's exactly, and he's only what, 23 years old too. He's shooting. And uh, this year he's shooting, I think it's like 45 or 46% from three, something ridiculous. I mean, yeah, yeah why wouldn't you want that? I, next it, to KP? It, it, he just, it, he just seems like a natural fit. 
He's been the most consistent Nick this year. He's he looks genuinely improved from earlier since in his career. He's, he's shooting fifty-one uh, percent from the field, but forty-six point seven percent from three. His yeah. career his career three-point uh, percentage is thirty-three point three percent. So I don't know how to quite explain I, I just, a jump he, like that. Just the way that he's able to like create space, like. I see it a lot when he kind of runs into the middle and then like while his defender is distracted, he's able to pop out to the three point line. And then they, I just, I don't know. I feel like they don't really know. A lot of defenders don't know whether to close out on him or let him try to take the three yet. So I think maybe defenses will be able to read him a little bit better as, you know, as the months start to go on in the season, but, you know, provided he's still able to be a, a you know, efficient pick and pop option, or at least, you know, just a, a, a space of four a little bit and get open to hit open three pointers. Like that's going to be a valuable player. That's going to be a guy that the Knicks should consider reserving a little bit of their cap space for, for resigning. Um, but anyway, moving on from, uh, from Noah Vonley, we had quite a few other players to discuss. I wanted to go into Moody a little bit more. Um, so he finished with 17 and six tonight, but still somehow seemed pretty invisible out there. I, I, I just, I, I don't even know what to expect from Moutier moving forward. I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know. What did you guys see from Emmanuel Moutier tonight? I should pick your brains first. I just thought he was overmatched. That was like the biggest thing that I saw tonight. He he was trying to, he was trying to squeeze a lot of passes into lanes that just disappeared at the last second, like at a couple of fast breaks where he tried to just bounce them low and skip them through. And, um, you know, Boston's a long team, a lot of, you know, good athletic wings, a lot of good defensive guys. And they just, I don't know. It just seemed like they made his life uh, miserable. He got swatted a couple of times and, uh, which has been happening a lot the last couple of games. I think, was it the wizards game where he just got blocked a thousand times or the game before that I'm forgetting, but in the wizards game, he had, he got blocked twice in like the first three minutes of the game. And then at a turnover tonight, he got blocked twice off the top of my head. He's starting when guys get up into him, he has trouble creating space to get mm-hmm. off. Yeah. Cause I mean like counting stats wise, he had Like if you just look at it like that, he had 17 points, he struggled right, shooting right. tonight five of 15, but then, you know, two rebounds, six assists. And I, I don't know, to me, it looked like he was, you know, just simply overmatched. It looked like he was trying his best out there. I mean, I think Moody, so Moody, kind of reminds me of what Ray Felton was with the Knicks. The mm, second round. And this, not, 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 I'm not comparing like their level of play, but in terms of what he meant to the team, the Knicks just lack a guard that can dribble and create for others and kind of initiate the offense. And Moutier, at he can do that and he can get them into sets and he can kind of dribble into the paint and create things. He, he's as average as he can get, but because of the context of this team, he's a little bit of a necessity and he, it kind of makes him look better than he is. And I hope like they did Hopefully, unlike they did with Felton after that 12-13 season, they don't get tricked into thinking he is better than he is because of how this roster is constructed. Yeah, that's a fair assessment, to be honest. And um, it, it just it kind of makes sense, right? Because Frank's the defensive, very passive guard on this team, and then Burke's the offensive gunner on this team, and there's nobody who's kind of balanced like as a, as a true guard would be in a sense where they're going to 
pick their offense and, and when to pass a little bit. And Moody is kind of that guy. And by default, that kind of makes him the best pure point guard in a sense on this team. So um, it does kind of enhance his image a little bit. I, I think he has, I think we can all agree. He has improved, you know, how he's played at least from last season to this season. But um, I, I agree with that assessment. It is a little bit rosier considering, uh, uh, considering the need for it. I'm curious as to what point in the game, David Fizel would have turned to Trey Burke if he had been healthy. Like at, at what point does he just kind of, does he see this offense completely stagnant? The, you know, the Celtics starting to pull away, starting to figure out their game, the defense starting to slip. It just seems like the only real use that we've seen for Trey Burke so far this season has been, you know, being deployed as like that kind of secret weapon that can come in and kind of at least change the flow of the game. Um, but, you know, he's injured. And then we have one point guard out there and we and, you know, we started seeing Trier running the offense from the point at, uh, at a couple of points of this game. And that's when things got really stagnant. And, you know, it goes back. We can just loop back to the same thing that's on everyone's mind about Frank Nielakina. It's just like, why not try to. You know, I, I, I know that Frank doesn't have the playmaking chops or anything, but he's got to be better than Trier in there. It's got to be a better option than, you know, letting Moutier try to skip passes across the court that are getting, you know, gobbled up by the length of the Celtics. You know, it's and it, this point well, guard rotation is just still so frustrating. to me. Well, speaking of uh, Frank, I'm going to I mean, I know we were kind of waiting and scanning Twitter for some sort of quote to appear, but mm. I have a I have a take off the Twitter timeline from yeah. uh, Matt Moore. I just want to drop on you guys real quick here. All right. So Keith Smith, uh, he tweeted, why is Frank Nielakina not playing? I've been wondering how this would go. Oh, I've been wondering about this for about a week now. It just makes no sense given where the Knicks are right now, but uh, where they hope to go. He's got to be a part of what they want to be, you know, in the future. And then Matt Moore quote tweeted it and said, the metrics for him are really bad. And this is now two different coaches who elected to not play him. That usually indicates something in practice or otherwise. I mean, I don't think Matt Moore knows what he's talking about. Yeah. In that case, like he has no information about anything. He's just making the assumption. We are just also assuming that Frank is a much more developed player than he is. I'm not, I'm also like, I'm caping for Frank to get minutes. I'm not caping for Frank to, you know, be the full-time starter out there. I'm not, I'm not looking for him to play 35 minutes a game right now or anything like that. I want, I just want to see him at least be able to get a comfortable shake, you know, a fair 15 minutes or even if it's that minimum, like, just to get out there, just to kind of like try to break out of whatever he's in, because I don't think him sitting on the bench, like him sitting on the bench just does nothing for anybody. And, you know, we saw four DMPs out of Dotson. I like to consider Frank slightly more valuable to the long-term planning of this team than Damian Dotson. So I, I don't know if the four DMP thing is going to be just a Fizdale, you know, staple blanket rule from now on, but... God, I hope he gets into the next game or the game after that if it's going to be four. Like, it's just at, at what point do you have an injured point guard? At what time do you have, you know, an offense that's going nowhere and you just think that you're not going to try to play, you know, this 20 year old kid? Courtney Lee didn't look good out there tonight either, so you can't even say it's defensively, you know? The uh, one, you could also find metrics where Frank does look okay. There's lineups from both seasons where. He played with the right types of players that surround him with talent that he needs to kind of complement what he does. And they've done well. We saw it with the starting lineup that played for four or five games with uh, what was it? Mitchell Robinson, Vonley, Dotson, Frank and Hardaway. That lineup did well together. When Frank was on the court with Porzingis last year, the team did well. So there are situations where he's been involved that the team has had success on the court. 
Um, I remember you brought up when Burke would have played. I think we would have seen Burke when Trier played point guard. I, I don't mind yeah. the Trier point guard thing from like a developmental standpoint and having him have to be put in situations where he has to read the court and make the, and make smart passes, but he's not good at it. He wasn't good at it in summer league. That's why he didn't look as good. You want Trier to just like come down and get the ball in a position where he can attack and score. You don't want him to have to survey the court. You want read right. one, go to the basket. We've just seen nothing from Trier this season that shows that he's capable of doing that. I mean, like whenever he's in transition, he's not looking to pass the ball. He's look, he's just looking to go straight to the rim. And then even when they're playing you know, more of a half-court game, you see him get the ball, kind of dribble into traffic, get trapped, and then you know do a full 360 pivot, throw the ball in the air, and it just gets... I've seen it at least three or four times this season where it just gets picked up. It's just, he does get... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, he does, get, he does get trapped more often than not. I mean, yeah. he's still got to work through it, but they're... To his credit, and it's, and it's not like an outrageous amount, but there have been some times when he's come in and the defense has popped out on him, and I've seen him make that little, like, Nash sweeping pass behind the back kind of not, you know, his back, but behind like the defender kind of thing. So he's done it a couple of times where he's done a little like dump off, but you know, it, it's not, it's not quite where you'd want it to be at, which maybe is why they're trying to trot him out there. He, he flashes some passing ability. I don't think despite the ISOs and all that, I don't think he's a selfish player. And for the most part, I don't think he takes bad shots. He'll, he has no problem if it's not there resetting and kicking the ball out. So I'm not totally done on his passing. I think his passing can get to a pretty acceptable level. And I think he, he plays team ball. He's not a selfish player. Speaking of passing, is there another player that uh, we were talking about before that you wanted to maybe bring up whose passing has impressed you the last couple of games? Oh yeah. Kevin Knox. I I don't know his assist. Now I have ESPN's box score. They're, They're still not good. They're still not good. The last two games were four. Well, before tonight, I think tonight was two. And then before that, was uh, consecutive games of four and then before that zeros, but it, the ball's just moving more out of his hands. It's not for a while there. He was basically touching the ball and going and shooting. Right now it's, he's looking around. He's he'll, he won't just settle for that pull up 21 foot jump shot with his foot on the line. He's being a little bit smarter with his decision-making. It's a little tough for him because he just, when he's driving to the hole, he doesn't have the slightest clue what to do. Like if there's a body in the way, it's most likely not going to end well for him right now. So that might've been what led to him just looking to shoot so much, but it's something he's just got to work through. And it's a, it's a, it's good progress to see already. I feel like he's just like looking down at his feet when he's driving. It's just like, he doesn't trust quite like the way he's going to move or he doesn't trust how we can get around defenders or anything like that. I, I, th- I like- do like his confidence when he does pull up now though. Because it he, seems like earlier in the season, I've been kind of, I've been kind of talking about this for a while, but earlier in the season, he was very hesitant to even put up the mm-hmm. shot. He was aiming, and he just looked like he didn't trust it. At least he kind of looks like he's starting to trust his jump shot a little bit. I'm hoping that his legs around the rim start to go with that. No, that's exactly what it is, because he's just letting it rip now. Like, the beginning of the year, he was just very slow. Like, when the ball would get into his hands, you could see, like, he'd give it that extra half a second or so to think about whether he actually wanted to go up with it or if he was just going to make a quick pass. But um, there was one play that stuck out to me in the, you know, not this game, the Washington game on uh, Monday, Um, the ball got tipped out to him on a rebound and he just went right back up with it. Like he came out to him mid range and then he just took one step into catching the ball and then just pulled up. 
And that to me was like a little thing that was encouraging. He's like, he picked it up, saw the space, ripped it. He was confident, ripped it, drilled the shot. And it's like, that's the kind of thing I don't think we would have seen in the first 10 or so games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think he might've been, it's a, it's the difference right now. Cause he might've in the first 10 or so games, he might've looked for another player to try to get that out to and, you know, missed a perfectly, you know, wide open shot or wide open layup or something like that. But you know, the difference is now he's actually moving the ball and he's doing it efficiently. He looks like he kind of understands where his teammates are going to be on the court. And it might have just been, you know, a matter of that earlier in the season where he's playing with all new guys. And, you know, he's just, you know, adapting to a whole nother level, a whole nother, you know, it's a, it's a new team. Um, but he is starting to come around. I do really like his confidence. I I think we're due for another pretty good, big game from him coming up. And hopefully we can have more of those continue and he can breathe a little bit of life into this pretty stagnant offense. Um, what else do we have to discuss from this game? Uh, let's, talk, let's talk a little bit about Mitchell Robinson. Um, something I'm really not liking that I'm seeing from Mitch lately is obviously the, he's a rim protector first and foremost, uh, which he seems to take all the way to the perimeter with him too. Um, I've been seeing a lot of like pick and roll plays where he'll stop with the, you know, with the, like the, with the pick, with the ball handler. And then when the ball handler pops up, he'll try to block that shot instead of staying with the big, which just allows for a ton of easy offensive rebounds and putbacks. Um, he's chasing his, his block way too much. I think out there, he's obviously got the foul issues. He's kind of been a little bit more quiet in recent games than at least able to stay on the floor. What, what's, where are you guys standing on Mitchell Robinson right now? It's it, With him, I just want to see him out there playing, man. And you're right about the blocking thing. And he also has to learn. He got, I forget what game it was, but he got the well, he got the flagrant for his feet falling underneath the guy yep. and something. Yeah, that's a big on. one. Mm-hmm. It's a couple of games now where he just doesn't give players you know space to land. It, it's causing him a lot of trouble already. It's just his, he's so he might not understand how big he is and that his feet, they just kind of naturally go. He has to learn. It's just learning how to jump is, I guess it's a weird thing to say, but he has to kind of learn how to jump on his closeouts. So his feet aren't going forward and he's meeting with his hand and landing and not falling into towards the, uh, towards the shooter. But you just get the, he's the guy where that, 14 to 18 minutes nights. He's playing really well, playing 28 minutes. You just kind of roll with them and just let them learn, let them work through it. The best thing for a player like him is experience on the court. I will say that there's nothing more beautiful than a Mitchell Robinson alley-oop. Like just the way, like he had that one finish tonight where he, like his arm just goes all the way up to the top of the backboard. It's crazy. And he just, he just like a guillotine just brings it down, man. It's, God, it's it just it. So I think Stone tweeted like, I "Get this tattooed on my chest, please," or something like that. And it's just it's so it's his offense around the rim, his you know just the way that he can catch these lobs. It's it's good to see, especially considering our normal finisher in those circumstances is out with the torn ACL right now. And by the way, really kind of upset with TNT for showing that uh, Porzingis injury immediately after coming back from commercial earlier today. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I could have went with that. I did. I, I don't know. Just feels wrong. Just feels wrong. Yeah, one, I can't wait till three years from now when Mitchell Robinson's stronger and it's not, he's going to, and if he learns how to control his body and maybe just 
he doesn't have to be able to like post up or learn moves, but to just be able to catch the ball in traffic and kind of take one or two dribbles, a lot like what Capella's learned how to do as his game advances like that, he's going to become even more of an offensive weapon when it's not just going to be the dunks because his touch isn't bad. It's just, he's not strong enough to take contact yet. And he doesn't have that one or two dribbles to be able to get the shot off, but he does have decent touch. Like we've seen him put a couple shots up and have a, and it hit the rim a couple times and fall in. I do think he's going to be, uh, the offense is going to come along with him. I'm really excited about him. He, d- he does need to fill it. His shoulders are just so disproportionately large compared to the rest of his arms. It's incredible. He's uh, right about it, though, because he doesn't want, he, he's talked about, he doesn't want to get too thick, though, because he understands that one of his advantages is his speed and quickness. Right, absolutely. So find, finding that balance, and hopefully he does that well. Yeah. I read something, I think Reed was talking about it before, and I'm just trying to confirm it because the NBA.com stats are being a little bit wonky, but he has either more or um, almost the same amount of offensive rebounds as he does uh, defensive rebounds. Like on NBA.com right now, it's being weird. So for his season line, it shows me a different number of rebounds, but um, both of them reflect that he has more offensive rebounds to defensive rebounds. So I'll just read the the top one. It says he has this season 53 offensive rebounds and 46 defensive rebounds on the year. And I think that's hysterical. But it reflects. You can see that out there. He's never grabbing defensive boards. Never, never. And it's, I'm just trying to think of the last time I saw somebody who was like a monster on the offensive glass and couldn't get a defensive rebound. It's very strange. Enos Cantor's kind of like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, but let me, uh, let me try to check his total real quick. Yeah, t- take a look at it. Cantor, like, Cantor is just so such an obvious offensive rebound threat. Like, he he's just such a good rebounder all around that I don't consider him strange in that sense, if that makes sense. And he he grabs a little bit more defensive rebounds. Right. It is not. It's the difference isn't as much. I'm right. trying to think of that too. There's got to be someone. Okay, so so just for reference, Cantor's split this year is 114. Offensive rebounds and 191 defensive rebounds, which is still yeah, it's it's, it's comparable. He's just so great all around at that. Like that's the one part of his game that's unquestionably, you know, he's elite at. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of of comps in the league. Um, it's a good question, right? Yeah. I, I I can't think of the answer. I have no idea. Like part I feel like of it's somebody uh, random, like Reggie Evans. Yeah, She's like it would need to be something like that. Like I'm almost thinking like like Collie Stein, maybe, but like I, I don't watch enough of him to really know how his refend, his rebounding game is. Um, I I can only think of guys with similar body compositions, but it, it's a very strange uh, phenomenon. All right, so now in this, the NBA.com's updated in 128 minutes. The Cantor, Hardaway, Vonley, Moody, and Hazonia lineup has a 104.9 offensive rating and a 110.4 defensive rating. Negative 5.5. Yeah, not great. So what you want? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to sit here and try to blame everything on Hazonia, but I just feel like a lot of your problems on both ends. It's just the obvious switch to make. It's like it's everybody else makes sense to be there right now. Even Moutier still makes sense to be the the starting point guard. Okay, I I guess the better question here is: so 
for 26 games now, tonight was game 26. Uh, we've sat here on this podcast and every week we've gone. Yeah, but it's not time to worry yet because, you know, Fizdale said 25 or so games. He was going to be intentionally weird about the lineups and the rotation. So, you know, he gets a pass. He gets a pass. Like we would disagree a little bit here and there, but we, we weren't ready to lose it or be annoyed about it. So now we're at game 26. He didn't say 25 games was like the hard limit. He just said around there. Now, at what point does our patience run out with the lineups? Because like I'm willing to go to like game 30 where I'm like enough, man. I don't I don't Please. have a, I don't have a hard line on it, but I'm just I'm really, really trying to stick by David Fisdale here. I tweeted it out earlier today. It's just it just there. It just doesn't make sense to me. It, I, 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 I don't know. I like it. It's hard for me to I'll give him like, you know, he can play around for half a season. Honestly, I think I give him to like the trade deadline to really start to figure things out there because there's moves that got to be made and you don't know what's going to happen with, with, you know, Cantor and you don't know what's going to happen with, uh, you know, Courtney Lee, anybody else on this team. But, you know, I, I would like to say I'd like to have seen him seen him, you know, put something solid together for right now or something that we can at least expect some kind of growth from moving forward. But I don't know if he's just going to keep fucking around and trying to pretend like he's going to compete for, you know, 45 games of the season that there's really nothing we can do about it. So I already lost my cool about it during the Bucks game, but I also started drinking two hours before and I was like six beers deep. My dad was in town visiting. So we were at the bar and I lost my cool about it when Frank didn't play. And I got really pissed off to an extent that was too extreme. I'm trying so hard to just be calm about it and not care, but it's, wildly frustrating and it's it's annoying to watch i wasn't i'm being honest i wasn't mad they got blown out tonight because i'm so tired of watching the groups that not the bench unit i for the most part i don't mind it but that i'm I'm just tired of watching that starting lineup and i don't i have no interest in wasting 24 minutes a night on it it does nothing for me yeah it's it's like i said there's you know it does nothing like you said it does nothing for you there's no sense of this lineup growing together. Like we already know the pieces that we kind of want to keep around after, you know, in a couple of months from now or next season or whatever it may be. Like, I, I don't, I just, I don't see what the purpose of starting, you know, these five players together. We're never going to play any basketball again together after this year. It's, it's just, it's not your best lineup. It's not a lineup you're trying to develop. It just doesn't make sense to me. Well, that was bright and sunny. Um, do we even have I, it? Is, 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 is there know. even anything else to discuss from this game? I feel like that. I feel like we're, we're just like there's this game was so quiet and like every every player looked invisible. Nobody looked confident in their shot. Everybody was you know like open. No one was taking open threes. Everyone was driving in and taking mid rangers. It, it was no, just no. T- Tim. Timmy took a lot of threes. Timmy took a lot Timmy of took, threes. I'll, I'll give Timmy it took 13, 13 of his 19 shots. He was Wait, just hoisting threes up, but, but it's like, it's guys like Dotson. I'm looking at it. And, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, even Kevin Knox to a degree before he started getting, even Kevin Knox was like, he was still shooting that shot where he had his foot on the line or he had one foot in front of the line. And some of them were going in, but it's just like, man, Oh, I, I oh, was I was I was very happy to see Tim taking bad shots from the three point line because if no one else is gonna be able to make anything happen, then I might as well see him trying to bomb. And, and at least there were threes. At least yeah, they weren't exactly like, like bullshit 
mid-range shots, you know, like right, right. this is what, and this is what, not all of them were great looks tonight, but this is why when people look at his field goal percentage, sometimes I kind of laugh because it's like, you got to check how many threes he takes now. Like he, they, they may not always go in, but he's taking a lot of threes. Like tonight he was six of 13. That's 46%. And, um, you know, One his six from two, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it, he'll just, he just misses the difficult shots inside the arc. And then the rest of them are just, you know, 38, 39% from deep. Like, if he's going to take most of his shots from deep and then hit them at a decent clip, like that's, that's okay. Like I, I don't ignore his field goal percentage, but I'm mostly concerned with his uh, three point percentage. If he's doing that and getting to the line then I don't care that his field goal percentage is lower given how many threes he's taking. Do we think he'll ever make a two point shot ever again? Um, do we think, it, or do we hope are, are, are we fa- are fast break dunks excluded? Cause yes, that's the only no fast break dunks. Then, then no, I'm out. Yeah, I don't think he'll ever take a mid-ranger. No, but um, somebody, somebody else who impressed me uh, was Vonley. Because, you know, the Celtics are they're a good defensive team. They dig into you a little bit. And Vonley was just trying to bully him back a little bit tonight. That was one thing I noticed, just his physicality, which uh, if you look at Noah Vonley, that's, you know, a, a duh. He's a very physical player, but uh, he's built like a freight train, so that helps. But he, uh, he bodied uh, Irving in the post one time that made me laugh. Um, there was a, a couple other nice, just strong plays. He made, I, I forgot who he bodied. He bodied somebody on the left block and turned around and just yammed it. So uh, it was he, a 12 he, and 10 game. It's, it's not this a, game. It, it was, yeah, it wasn't like a hugely great game, but it's just more of the same from him that, and that to me is important. I mean, yeah, we're, it's like we is. were saying at the top of the pot, it's, he's, he's looking consistent. He's looking at, he's at least able to pitch in a little bit of scoring, but that defense has just been there game after game. His true, true, his true shooting percentage is almost 62. I still just can't. I just can't believe I said it earlier. I can't just believe his uh, three point percentage. It's stupid. Nobody's nobody's talking about it. He's shooting like 47 percent from deep. That's ridiculous. He's taking them every game. It's not like he's taking them once every couple of games. He's taking one or two a game. It's just stupid. And he probably needs to start taking more. Yes. Yes. I, I forgot. Breen said it on Monday's uh, during Monday's game. He, he said that w- whatever, uh, I think Von Leyen hit like something stupid, like 14 of his last 20, like low 20s threes that he had taken. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it feels like it. It feels like every game. So the last couple of games, he's been like three or four from deep, two or three from deep. Like he's just been drilling them. So, um, he's another guy too. Like I whined about it with Knox and his and Vonley to start the year. Like when they caught, you know, balls in the corner, they would be, they would hesitate every time they caught it or they pump and like do this weird little, like they weren't trying to get you to bite pump. They were actually nervous pump faking, but now it just seems like these guys when they get the ball, they're just letting it rip. So I, I don't it more of the same from him, please. Cause it's very, very nice to watch. Steve Popper has the Fisdale quote on Frank from tonight. All right, so let's do it. Fisdale asked, why not turn to Nilakina when defense isn't working? Now, here's the uh, quote starts. Maybe I probably should have. I can always look at him. It ain't like he's out, though. Again, it's going to be a long season. Frank will be getting his opportunities again. All right, I feel a little bit better now. He could just be BSing. Like, Fisdale 
does not hesitate to lie to the media. Yeah. Like they'll like him because he gives them good quotes and he's nice to them and he's funny, but he will lie his ass off and not care one bit. Uh, the example here is Mario Zonia. I love what I've seen on defense. Yeah. And honestly, God, I wouldn't be surprised if that's because they'll try to smoke screen something bigger that he knows about. You know, that's do you guys, do you guys he, think he, he could be traded? talking about it. What's that? Do you guys think he's getting traded? I, I'm. I'm coming around. I'm, I'm, I am on my way around the bend. I just don't believe it. I just, to, to me, I'm not there like, yet. I'm not there yet. I, I, I refuse to say it, but I'm, <laughs> I am. That train is rolling. I think had they had all of this happened and they only tried playing Frank at point, they only talked about him being point and it just didn't go well to begin the year. And then all this happened. I think then I would be firmly in the camp of panicking. They're going to trade him. But given how they're just like, you know, some of the quotes were very ambiguous about where they wanted to play. I'm like, oh, Frank has to tell me, you know, what he's going to be, like what kind of player he's going to be. Um, and as much as I'd like for him to be a point, he was drafted to be point. I, I think it would be great. Uh, he'd be a great offensive mismatch for a lot of guards in this league if he ever uh, truly developed in that end. Um, if he turns into just a really quality starting wing, I could not give less of a shit. It just would it wouldn't be possible. Like. <laughs> Just make him make him a good mold him. He's a 20 year old raw prospect mold him into whatever he has the physical tools. He has the IQ mold him. That's your job. The the not playing tonight just set off like a giant alarm in my head. Like, oh, crap, this is really going to happen now. I probably probably overreacting. And I like the quote. The quote from Fisdell there did make me feel better, despite what we just talked about with the lying. December 15th, the Suns can trade Trevor Ariza. Could I see the Knicks getting out of Courtney Lee's contract and using Frank and taking on Ariza for the rest of the season? That sounds like some, maybe you get the buck. The Mm -hmm. Suns have the bucks pick. They need a point guard. They've been interested in him in the past. I mean, from a front office that didn't draft the guy, I could see why they would find that attractive, even if it's a move I wouldn't like. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it makes sense to me. I, it's just the way that it happened today. Like, I, it's the way that he didn't come into the tonight's game, right? Like, that's the thing that really started setting off some bells for me, is that the Knicks were clearly getting blown out. There was no way to win this game. By the, I mean, by the seven-minute mark, it was very clear that they were going to make up whatever lead they were giving up, and it was only getting worse. That's the t- that's the time when you should be putting Frank in to try to build his confidence up a little bit. It's not putting him in there to try to get you to win the game anymore. Then it's just about letting him go, letting him run, like kind of letting him off the leash a little bit and seeing how just showing him that you're willing to let him develop on the NBA floor too. I just he, like Dotson stayed in the whole fourth quarter. He had 5 points for the whole game. You had, you know, you had all these other guys out there that he kept on rolling with who not only were they looking gassed by the end, but you had a full bench of guys that needed to come out and just show, just try to just get a little bit of run while you're getting blown out. That's what it's for. That's why there's garbage time there in the in games like this. And you know, it it just it just the fact they didn't get there and all started make started making me worrisome. And like Brian was just saying, that that's a trade that makes sense entirely. That's a trade I could totally see the front office rationalizing. And, you know, that's what's scary, because that's not a trade that I think that the Knicks should make either. 
Cornette got put into the game tonight. Exactly. Oh man, you don't. I I was gonna say it, and I didn't want it because I didn't want to get mad about it. But here I am. <laughs> I like Cornette though. Just I don't like the logic in him playing and not Frank. And it's that so, was like, they could have both been in. There's no reason yeah. not to both play him when they're you're getting blown out with six minutes left in the game. It's it's just that like that is what's really frustrating to me when you see the clear opportunity to do it and it just seems like he didn't go in out of spite. So I think really at this point it's it's one of it's only one of two things and one is supremely simple and the other is much more complicated and I just feel like a it, it really is as simple as they have whatever little experiment it is for how they want to run the rotation with just straight up benching a guy for a block of games um, or it's B, you know, they just simply don't believe in him and they're actively looking to trade him and get him into a different situation. That That's what I feel like. It, it, that's it. I don't feel like there's a gray area. I just feel like it, it's a really simple thing and they have to just, you know, they're, they're not going to say that outright, you know, they would never just say, oh, we're going to bench him for a couple of games. And he, I mean, he kind of has in not so many words when he's just like, oh yeah, look at uh, what happened with Trey Burke and, and Dotson. And, but I just think it's, it's that simple at this point. I, I almost don't want to overthink it. I don't know if I'm just trying to talk myself out of it, but I just really think it it's, I, I still feel like once he puts his foot down and like, okay, well now my little 20, he still has to cap that 25 game thing. That's all I can think about. He's brought it up so many times. People have brought it up to him. I just feel like he's got to put a, a lid on it. Yeah, so well, like we're, like we're talking on. about, Bizzell's got no problem lying to the media. He's got no problem making up the storylines he goes along, which is fine. I don't really even mind that from him so much because I don't really, you know, whatever you're going to say to the, the scrum to get him off your back is whatever you're going to say. But it's just, you know, it's, it's like, I don't even know what to go off of. It's just a blatant disregard for what makes sense to a team at this point. Whether it be 25 games or 30 games or 40 games or whatever it is, like, you got to roll with what's going to make sense, if not even if not in the present, then at least in the future. And it doesn't seem like either one of those needs are being tackled right now. So, oh, go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, there's certain kinds of lying that I'm okay with and certain kind, like, yeah, you can't go out there and say, we're trying to trade him. You have to not be yeah, up front. But like the Hazonia is good at defense type of lying is annoying. Like I covered the Suns and Earl Watson. I used to ask him like questions about what was going on the court and he would stand there and lie right to my face. And it was the most frustrating thing I've ever dealt with covering basketball. Like it's really annoying. So I could feel for the beat writers in that situation. Uh, I I just want to put one little uh, stat out there. So over the first two games, Frank Neal Aquino played 65 minutes. And over the last seven games, Frank Dilakina has played 56 minutes. I'm sorry, how, what was the first sample of games? It was two games. 65 minutes oh my God. in two games. And in the last seven games, 56. Yikes. By the way, the last time the Knicks played the Celtics in Boston and won, he was a plus 10. Yep. And he played really good off the bench. Tonight, you I, just, guys, I just want so well for this kid, man. I, 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 I don't know just, where it's going to happen, but... Just to put that into context, too, we had two players tonight tied with a, uh, for the worst plus-minus on the on the team, and that was Kevin Knox and Damian Dotson with minus-19s. Honest to God, I'm just saying, like, 
Knox, fine. Keep a man. I, I, I don't really care what Knox's plus minus looks like at this point. I feel similarly, similarly with Dotson, but like, it just seemed to be the perfect opportunity to go to give Franco. I, like, I was just waiting for him to go in. It just seemed like it was right there lined up for Frank to try to get some kind of confidence back to his game, to have a prove it moment, to be able to be get, at least have the trust that he's going to get those prove it moments. And it just never came. And that that's, that's what was most disappointing for me. I'm curious how he's going to react to this. If he does mm-hmm. get a play with this team again, I just don't know with his mental makeup. He's someone who seems to have problems with his confidence when he's on the mm-hmm. court. I think he's, more skilled and a little bit farther along than we maybe see. And I think a lot of his issues are more mental than and, physical. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly why this, this is, that's exactly why this was the pop, the perfect opportunity to get him to break out of that tonight. You had, you had no, no consequence minutes just out there waiting to be grabbed. And instead he just kept rolling with the same guys for no reason. Like that. It just seems like wasted developmental minutes. Uh, I don't know. Do you guys want, want to look ahead real quick? Yes, uh, the I was, was going to say. It's, uh, so, I, think, I think we've taken about as much as we can out of this game. So Saturday, the New York Knickerbockers are at home at the Garden, 7.30 start time, mm-hmm. and they're playing the Brooklyn Nets, run by the genius that is Sean Marks. Um, <laughs> and their records are actually identical, which is strange for uh, where these teams should be at. And their respective timelines, but it's neither here nor there. Both teams I are eight Kenny and eighteen. Atkinson was a genius. Oh, he is. He is. And uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is an all-star snub from last year, yeah. and uh, should have also won Most Improved Player. But that's again neither here nor there with his twelve points per game. The schedule's so, pretty easy coming up. Yeah, because it's. Uh, I think after that it's Charlotte. I think we that's also at the Garden. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. How December was going to be their opportunity to try to. Uh, you know, try to pull off a couple wins because it only gets torturous in January. Yeah, so it's a uh, Brooklyn, Charlotte, Cleveland, Charlotte, Indiana, Phoenix for the next six. Three at home, three on the road. Yeah, it, it's it's these are the if they want to go out and get a couple of wins, this is the time they're gonna do it because it, they're they're like I said, they're not gonna make it out for a while with an e- without an easy game. So they. I feel like uh, against Brooklyn, it's going to be pretty winnable. They don't have Karis LeVert anymore, obviously. Um, I, I think this could be a, a big opportunity to try to get the Knicks offense right. Uh, against the Hornets is going to be interesting. There's a lot of uh, you know a lot of storylines I'm looking to see there. The Hornets have been pretty sneakily okay this season, obviously led by uh, Kemba Walker. Uh, but I would like to see. I, I'd like to have another look at uh, at um, Malik Monk. I haven't really watched any of him this year, and I'd like to. He, I was big on him last year. I'd like to see how he's progressing. Um, yeah, there, there's, there's definitely some easy, winnable games coming up. Uh, real quick, I think that's how I want to close this podcast out. Would you guys sign Kemba next summer? Given, given the state of the point guard situation here, if you knew you can get Kemba in his prime with KP sort of on the upswing of his, getting healthy and getting right. You got all these other young guys in the fold, Dotson and Knox and Mitchell Robinson and Trier and hopefully Frank, but an un- a very uncertain future for the point guard position, whether you love Frank or not. I think we could agree on that. Would you just sign Kemba and get it out of the way if you couldn't sign, let's say, a Durant or something, obviously? I'd still probably say no. 
I feel like this is this position, like that last piece, needs to come into play once we know a little bit more about what Porzingis is going to be like coming back, what Knox is going to be able to contribute, you know, throughout the rest of this year, throughout next year, and the year after that, like how quickly he's going to take to come on. I almost want. I almost feel like that point guard position is going to be the last the last piece that they need to being able to, you know, become a competitive playoff team again. Before this season, I would have been a hard no. Kemba's kind of, he's doing it again. So what in May, he turns 29, his 29 through 34 season. You get his last at 30 million a year years. minimum. It's, if I could get him for three years, I would do it. I wouldn't do it for five. Yeah. Or That's four. Fair. You can't I mean, do it. You can't do five. Four, the, I mean, so you're getting 29 through 33. I could talk myself. I would talk. I wouldn't be like, this is a home run, no brainer move, but I would talk myself into it. Yeah. I just think I, the way I'm looking at it is this, right? Like just looking at their, who they have at the two and three and four, and then having KP, like just the young stable of guys. I feel confident that somebody would pan out pretty well on the wing so that obviously you go after the Kevin Durant. And like the Kyrie's like, obviously you go after them, but I'm saying you, if, if, is Kemba is it a hundred percent that you go after Kyrie over Kemba at this point when you, I, add I would, I would, and I'm a giant Kemba fit. I'm a giant Kemba fit, but I would, I would stick with Kyrie. Is that hot? I'm is a, that a hot take? No, I'm, no, a, I'm, no, I'm, no. I'm about there with you. I, I feel like Kemba's just had this explosion this season that, I think a lot of us are still wondering whether or not that's going to stick, even though he's, he, he was really, really good. he's looked really good. Like last couple of years. Last yeah, year yeah we but he's, really, really. it's just, it's not so much a case of that. He was bad the last couple of years. It's more of that. He's just seems elevated this year. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's really a but tough, a tough position. I, I to guess be the in. better, I guess the better question for the Kemba situation is this. I'm going to ask this and, and I think you guys are going to understand the way I'm asking it. Do you think you can get more out of this Kemba contract? Like if you if you were to sign him and have KP and and this young stable of twos and threes, do you think you can get more from from that grouping, that roster, so to speak, or are you Mike Conleying yourself into it, where you're lock, you're locking yourself into a very good team, but you sort of know where the ceiling is? I don't think we know what the ceiling is. It would depend very much on what Knox and Frank become and how healthy KP was able to stay because it happened. It's already happened once. The dude is all legs and no upper body. And someone falling into his lower half again isn't really all that unlikely to I worry about that with Mitchell Robinson a little bit too, the way yeah. he always ends up on the floor. These guys are very long limbs. And if you, I feel like when you have really long limbs like that, it's, it's always going to be more risky, but yeah, at your point you got, you're, you'd get a good amount out of a Kemba KP team. If you had the right entry lock, you would just really advance your, uh, your timeline a couple of years. And that that's, what's kind of scary to me is that, I just, I do. I think that Kemba is going to be a solid starting player at 33. I, I absolutely do. I just worry that it's going to take until that point for KP and for 
Knox and for, you know, presumably Frank or whoever else ends up on this team to be ready to, you know, take that step forward. I just, it's just, I, I love Kemba Walker. I, I don't mind paying that much for Kemba Walker. It's just, I, I really worry about the timelines. It'd be a nice brush of fresh air to brush of fresh air to watch yeah. decent basketball for once, though. Oh, I, it pains me because I know that that's what we get, and I know that it's been so long. And God, just to watch a you know Knicks playoff team would be incredible. But it's just, well, just, to, just things to are lined up so the guarding. stars are so aligned right now that I just think that there's a legitimate opportunity if we just have some patience here. I, I just I want to watch good a good point guard on this team consistently, like n- not, not a single season of fun, not a, not a, not a two or three week span. I just want to watch like three to four years of good point guard play for my team. That's it. Like we had that one year of Raymond Feltman uh, with him and Amari, those first like 45, 46 games. Don't forget when, about uh, 25 games of Chauncey Billups. Yeah. Yeah. We had uh, Cha- Chauncey at the end of that year and, uh, Jeremy Lin with his outburst and you, you know, like we have like bursts of fun stories that come and go. And I, I would just really like to just have the guy. It almost feels like the jets eluding me with the quarterback for so long. Like, like we need the point guard, you know, is like it, 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 it's enough. We need the fucking point guard. Is it G- give us a point guard. tenured point guard of this decade. Jose Calderon. Is that true? <sighs> no, I don't, can't be. I, 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 I don't know. Hold but on. I I'm think it might be. We need to look this up. I'm going to basketball reference right now. No way. How he was on the team for two years, right? I I, was he three? Was he three? 14, 15, 15, 16. Oh, man. There 16, so 17 was Derrick Rose. There's so many black. Was Calderon here. on the Derrick Rose team? I don't, I don't, I don't believe so. Think so. I think he was out of there by then, right? Felton was on the team for three years if we count two separate stints. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely count. I'm just, I'm more considering total games at this point. Although Felton does have a couple of playoff games. Not many, but a couple. Jeez. Oh, that's it, right. Uh, it, it's got to be the two of them. Though. We had the 12-13 year. Yeah, he got traded before they made the playoffs with the Amari team. Okay, so it's, it's so it's, it's Felton's got to be number one then, right? Yes, yeah, you had you got two full seasons and uh, like uh, to the trade deadline. Okay, yep, yep, that makes sense. All right, well, I feel a little bit better about that at least then. Jesus, Derek Fisher was the longest time he, he as a coach. He had just as many games as as Calderon. Mm. Man, this is always such a depressing conversation. Yeah, I, it I, always I, somehow I, comes back to like Chris Duhon. <laughs> Derek Fisher really has been the Knicks' best point guard, and he even play a game. All right, we got to stop this. Like, we, we got wouldn't it be nice, like even if you paid a little bit extra in the in that year in that age thirty three year, if you just had Kemba Walker, you know, like this is how I could romanticize myself into it. I really, I, in an instant, in an instant, it would take nothing, nothing to ignore the ramifications of it down the line. 
Yeah, no, that's exactly my perspective on it. I'll just be like, I know this might not end up in a championship, but I've been watching the Knicks for 20 years and their point guards have always sucked. <laughs> like, all right, let's do this. I could be talked into it. I, I, there's, I could certainly be talked into it. All right, do we have anything else we need to cover tonight? I, uh, once we hit Jose Calderon, I think it's time to call it quits. Uh, no, should we do a little bit of plugs and then uh, call it a day? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, we're doing a little giveaway right now. Um, you, we should probably retweet that tweet again just to get it out into the open. But uh, we're giving away, it's a couple of days old now, but the Giannis Step Over t-shirt. Uh, you know, it's a TKW exclusive, TKW podcast exclusive, limited run one. Uh, yeah, if you want to be uh, entered into winning that, just uh, send us a tweet of you subscribing and giving us five stars to, uh, to the show. And uh, let us know what your size and preferred color is. And, we, uh, and you'll be entered, and we're going to do a random selection at the end of the week. So uh, get in on that. Other than that, uh, go to uh, you can check SNY's timeline or go to SNY.com. And an article from our own Eli Cohen will be up there. Um, so that was real exciting stuff. We just uh, got going with them today. Uh, Kyle, what else do you want to throw into the mix here? Oh, we're trying to get back uh, on the 2K yes, show yes. beforehand. So a uh, rough couple of weeks trying to squeeze it in from uh, coming from our office jobs directly to covering the games and, and squeezing that in all the time. But we're trying to get back on the horse there. Uh, just to be fully transparent with you guys, but subscribe. It's a uh, Twitch t- TV slash the Knicks wall. Um, basically, it, we're just playing 2K and just come hang with us, chat with us. Same thing as the Periscopes. Uh, we're just trying to slowly get that going. Um, I should mention, too, that the uh, piece that we that Eli has up running on SNY right now is all about David Fizdale through 25 games. So a lot of what we were talking about tonight. So. Uh, good reading there if you want to kind of dive a little bit deeper into everything we've been ad- addressing so far. Yeah, what system me. do you guys play 2K on? Uh, well, we Kyle and I run on PS4, uh, but we do have read with Xbox. And uh, anyone else have Xbox? I don't know. But yeah, if you guys what, listen to the pod. What, what are uh, you running on? I have. I played the last NBA 2K I played was 13. I, I don't uh. think I've had it. PlayStation 3 was the last system I had. I feel you. I still got my PS3 in the closet. I got a PS2 around here somewhere, too. Mm. I was pretty nasty at uh, NBA Live 95, though. <laughs> it's a good one. I, You know what? Not necessarily uh, NBA, but NHL 94. Holy shit. That's NHL game. games are fire. Oh, especially just, the 90s I, I just ones. Check where everybody. Just you buttons. just check everybody. Oh, man. Are they good to this day still? Oh, they're, they're yeah. I played. I played. Uh, Seventeen was the last NHL game I bought, and that that was really cool. They they put in like the ultimate team team building mode and everything into there too. Um, yeah, NHL games are supremely fun. It's like FIFA, like except just with like way more glide to it. FIFA. I've I've never been a soccer person, but I hit a stretch where. Uh, no, I played video games a long time ago. It's been a minute since I've played, but I used to love playing those FIFA games, and I didn't know any of the players or anything. I just used to fuck around with that. It was Yeah, it was I, a, I, I had a similar phase. FIFA's incredible. FIFA, honest to God, uh, I, I truly mean this, and I don't know. I don't think anybody ever believes me when I say it. Um, I started playing FIFA when I got really serious about playing uh, just basketball competitively, 
And I was, I used to be just a straight up scoring guard and I played FIFA like for just a while. And I don't know why, but like learning the timing of like lead passes, it helped me in that game. And like all of a sudden, like when I got into the basketball court, like I could throw these really great lead passes that I, I had no prior knowledge of ever throwing. Oh, and, look at this. Uh, Kyle's a cere- cerebral hoop? athlete here. I'm telling you, it worked. Can, can you actually hoop? Oh yes. I'm actually very good. I, I promise you. I, I know a lot of people say that that are online. I'm actually very good. I mean it. Did you play college level? No, I I got asked, but it was like a D3 school. Like I, I I play with the pickup guys a lot, and then they asked me if I wanted to like actually formally try out, but I was working a couple of jobs, so I didn't. And yeah. I also don't consider D3 anything like legitimate. No, but if you could play D3 ball, you're good. Like, like I, so- I, play, I play with a lot of guys that, like one of my good friends, uh, he went to Yukon and, and he was on the, he never got in, but he was like practice squad kind of stuff, like the Rudy Gay era. So, um, he, he's, I, I play basketball with him. We play in a very competitive league. So we, we, a lot, a lot of old college guys, a lot of, a lot of good talent. I'm basically the, at this point in my, I'm like the level of a decent high school player. And I played against a bunch. I played against James Harden and basically all of his teammates all the time at ASU during the summer. Oh, and those dudes are, have you ever played with like an NBA player like that? I actually avoided it. Um, Ryan Gomes is from Waterbury. So he's nearby here. And uh, there's a Waterbury team in our, in our uh, league. And they, uh, for a couple of weeks had teased that he was going to come play. And I didn't believe it. So I, I got done with my game and he's, he was the league above me. I was in B, he was in A. And uh, all of a sudden he showed up and I was like, oh, okay, this is, First of all, he looked, you could just tell he was an NBA player. Like the second he walked in, like he just did, did not fit on the court that we were playing on. And it was hysterical. But, um, this is one of my, one of my good friends that we ball with. He, he, he's just, uh, he talks a lot of shit. He heckles you. So he was just heckling, heckling, heckling. Cause Ryan Gomes was his first, like five or six shots real quiet. First half, they were down double digits. Second half, again, he's getting heckled, heckled, heckled. And then he just goes off. He just starts drilling threes from like 35, 40 feet, just like pulling up. Uh, he scored like 20-something points. These are eight-minute quarters. Like he's just going, going. They ended up winning by like 15 or 16 after that. It just, uh, it, it was it was something to watch. Like when, when you see an NBA player actually come in, like this is after I think the Thunder waved him. And then he came in like a couple weeks later and just, he was there for like four or five games and just kicked everybody's teeth in and then disappeared. Yeah. Harden used to play with like four scrubs like me. And we would play against the entire, like all five guys on ASU's basketball team. And we would beat them because the people don't understand like people that level, they could, in a game, they just literally don't miss a shot like yeah. he could from anywhere on the court. And it went in every single time. And it's just like, Holy shit. These guys are just other levels of good at this thing. Yeah, I think who, the, the last thing I'll say on this is uh, I think it was Nate Jones a couple of years ago, like when people would rag on Dwight about his his free throw shooting back during his prime years. Um, he posted like a video of I think it was like the Lakers or somebody were counting his his consecutive makes at the time. And he made like 80 straight free throws or like mid like mid range. It was something stupid. He just, he just kept drawing them and everybody was calling bullshit. And then he was just like, you guys don't understand. Like even the really like not good free throw shooters or not good jump shooters. Like they're still better than you. Like they're still going to hit a lot of shots. They just, you know, this is such a 
small percentage of, of players in the NBA who are elite like this, that, you know, it, it, it kind of warps your perception. Like if they go to your YMCA, they're going to kick your ass, period, period. Just very simply. And just to put a bow on that, I'm very bad at basketball. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm really I'm not good either. Kyle, if he, he's being real, he's definitely a lot better than I am. I played a single year of uh, CYO basketball in. Uh, oh, I played CYO basketball in, uh, you know, 12th grade and then went to an art school and played on the club basketball team uh, where our coach ended up abandoning us. Uh, and we never really had enough players to field a full team, so we'd often have to just like pull guys off the street who were wearing, you know, Jordans or something, and have them hop on the train with us. Because yeah, you know, I, I live in Chicago, and it's not like we got buses from our school or anything. It's not like we got any funding or any shit like that. So we would just have to take the uh, take the train all the way down, like way down south into Chicago, and go play against this team that was just like a breeding ground for eventual college talent. And we often got beat by like a hundred points. It was just brutal. You, you guys told me that story, and now I'm profoundly sad. I did. It's dude. I, that was that was freshman year for me. I took over the fucking team as their coach and captain, and was also a starting center. I'm like I'm like five <laughs> you can't, you five guys ten. I'm like by hundred points. I'm like five, five. Yeah, dude. It was there was like one game where like all of us were just like getting just yammed on just i i remember it was like the the toughest team that we were going to play against that season and obviously none of these games counted because they're all intramural and like god they had like a pa announcer there they had uh they had um they had like all the family in the stands we were just getting laughed at the whole time it was it was just straight up brutal i just remember going back in like one dude's car like the one dude who actually drove us there that day and we were just like real depressed and passing around cigarettes it was it was not a good time really really the last thing have you guys ever gotten actually dunked on yes yes it, it's, it's vicious it's, it's, it's horrible. so vicious oh no i i don't get anywhere near oh, enough to, to get I, dunked on i avoid it at all costs I, i'm not a very tall player uh you've all met me in person but i'm actually really good at timing blocks and i remember one one, one game i don't know why i jumped with somebody on an alley-oop i thought i was i really thought i was gonna get it Really, th- and he just he oh. he caught it before I can get there, and j- I fell down. It was it was terrible. <laughs> and then uh, I think it was two or three possessions later. I honest honest to God, I I got the same thing was happening, and like I heard the crowd. <laughs> Everybody thought it was gonna happen again, and I was like, Nah, I'm gonna get this one. And I I broke up the pass. It wasn't a very good pass. I broke it up, but uh, it it did not it did not erase the memory. You guys have never gotten all together and hooped. But we've been I've talking been, about been it for years. Whining but, about yeah. it it's, since the uh, since the team kind of got together here. I've been whining about it. They uh, so much so that it wasn't happening, and nobody believed that I could actually play basketball. So back when we had our WhatsApp uh, group chat, I, w- I had to send them highlights after one of my games of me just dropping vicious floaters over people's heads. When I, next time I come back to New York, I'm going to try and talk everyone into playing. Uh, I'm game. We can make it I, I will always make it. There'll be our spring meetup. In our Puma Hoops. In our Puma Hoops. All right. I got to end this thing out. I got to edit this thing. You guys, uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to us reminisce about our... Some of us had good hoop stories. Some of us didn't have so much. Uh, But we reminisce nonetheless. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, Remember to please review 
give us a rating five stars please uh thanks to brian for joining us we'll talk to you again on sunday dude thanks to kyle as always for being around and we'll talk to everyone later